They do have a timeout. Decide not to use it. Curry, way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! With six tenths of a second remaining! on my table here next to me in our room we do the podcast we have this table that you're you would put chips on in the garage at like a fourth of july party. sure it's like a card a card table card table is that sure. you call it yeah we got all our stuff on here we got the saints fat head next to us we're in a a regular size bedroom it could be like you know a kid's bedroom basically um and next to me i got this table where i keep stuff drinks uh and books and i got a lot of books built up so I got to give some away, and we're always giving stuff away. But every once in a while, the listeners give me stuff, which I like that. Oh. Yeah. So I wanted to thank a listener, Ron from Denver, who was nice enough to send me a Yale hockey. What are these called? Koozies? Koozie? Beer koozie? Bottle? I can put my drink in there. See, I got a drink out. Right now, you see me, it fits perfectly. It's in my Snapple, so I got a Yale Hockey Snapple. There you go. And he also sent me a uh, No White Flags Team Gleason pin. Oh, sweet. So I wanted to thank Ron. He's paying attention. Yeah. I mean, he's got the Saints, Yale, he's all over it. It's a nice listener, right? Yeah. I, I, I wrote him and thanked him on Twitter, and I asked him if he had any presents for you, and he said no. <laughs> so, <laughs> I said, you know, there's two of us. That's all right. He said, there's two things I should share. I said, I'm not sharing any of my things. No, no, that, that's by all means. Uh, we have a hockey basketball show today. Okay. Uh, Tass Mellis is with us. We love Tass. Mm-hmm. We've, uh, you know, there's a godsend about about Tass is that we really only had Lee for basketball, and this there's is, yeah, n- yeah. nothing wrong with Lee Jenkins. He's first ballot. Sportscasters Hall of Famer, right? Sure. But you can't call Lee Jenkins every single time you want to talk about basketball. It's not fair to Lee Jenkins. Yeah, we call him enough as it is. Right. Right. Um, And this was our first guy that I think we really made a connection with other than Lee on the basketball side. Yeah, for sure. And I was telling you before, we kind of underrate him, um, how big he is and how big the starters, his show is in the basketball community. Um, So we're really excited to have him on. We're going to talk about that Steph Curry shot that we played. Uh, and what's going on in the NBA kind of besides the Warriors. You know, like the Warriors have been such a dominant narrative in right. the NBA. Do you do you like do you have any idea what else is going on cuz I barely do. No I know, clue. I know somebody else again. is very good too. Uh, I can't the Spurs. Remember. Must have been the Spurs, yeah. yeah. And I think Oklahoma City is pretty good. I think Cleveland's still number 1 in the East, but we got to get details from him. There's no reason for us to speculate. And we're going to do a hockey guest too. I got a couple balls in the air. We'll get one of them. Yeah. I guess that's fluid. Sure. Yeah. But it's not that fluid, I mean. No, it's one of right. two. We'll probably. do one or the other. Um, It is season six, episode seven. We did six shows, and then we needed a break. Don was in the basement last week, and uh, we needed a break. Uh, we made it all the way to, to March. I wonder if that hurts us. I was listening to a podcast today. I, was listening to, I, I don't know. I'm, I was listening to Pete Holmes' podcast today, and he said the one thing – that he was proud of throughout the entire time, like he did his night show and his podcast, is he never missed a week of the podcast. And like the other guy that was on with him was like, "Oh my god, I missed 
podcast all the time. So it's it's not unlike people to miss a week or whatever. But I mean, that's something I think Dave told us too early on is just try to whatever well, you say you're going to put out, put out. And I think so. I mean, we do it weekly, and we don't really have a day where everyone is refreshing. You know, we don't stay. We right. never committed to a day. It's just kind of like we do it every week based on when we finish it. Right. Because that gives us the opportunity to be flexible, to be flexible with guests, which is what we need. You know, I was talking to Josh, Josh Levine from uh, the uh, Slate podcast. You know, he was saying the hardest thing for him with booking is they put that out every Monday. So they have this small window Monday morning, Mm. you know, and that's they're either going to get a guy if we can fit in there or not. I mean, that said, we did 41 episodes out of 52 last, 52 weeks last year. So that's pretty good. Yeah, and I think that's about where we want to be. So it's fine. And I want, I don't mind when we have a Richard Deitch episode either and Jack McComb. You know, we have Richard Deitch and an NBA Hall of Famer. Oh, to let that one sit? To let that sit on the top for sure. two weeks is fine. So, um, But it's Season 6, Episode 7, March 3rd, 2016. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin Month. Oh really? The one and only Stone Cold Steve Austin month we'll ever have three sixteen. Oh, I got you. Um, I happened to flip on wrestling the other day. Uh, Shane, Shane, yeah, Shane, Shane O'Mac is back. back. Yeah, I always liked him. I don't know. I mean, the rest He's a of the billionaire taking bumps. You got to admire that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rest of the family were kind of heels, and he was too a little bit. But like you said, he would he'd be diving off the cage and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, um, we'll talk WrestleMania. That's uh, one month from today. Sweet. All right. Let's get this thing started. We're going to – we'll probably start with Tass. Um, he'll go first. Then we'll do a book club. We'll do our hockey guest. In case that gets a little long, we'll do that second. Um, one last thing. We'll close the show and we'll get started now with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. There's breaking news in the Sportscasters newsroom. Is It's something that normally happens two minutes after we record this. Sam Bradford uh, re-signed with the Eagles. So he is going to uh, stay there. It's a two-year deal. It's worth $36 million, $26 million guaranteed. Uh, so, man, Sam Bradford's made a ton of money in his career for yeah. relative to his productivity because he was the last guy who got in before the rookie, before the rookie minimums, yeah, yeah. made a ton of money on that first deal. Um, and now he gets $26 million more guaranteed from Philly. And I think I mentioned to you, just kind of goes to show, when it comes to that position, teams aren't going to take a risk. No, I always, I always kind of say that. Like, if I could sign up for my team having, I want to sell someone short, but not too short maybe, like an Andy Dalton. Like, would I sign up for that? Or would I, knowing that he might just not, like, Knowing you might get what you see out of him, although this was a bad year because he got hurt or whatever, and he was looking—he was good. an MVP candidate. Yeah, he was looking really good. Yeah. So that's why I mean I wanted to pick someone like of that ilk, like Ryan Tannehill. Maybe is a better example. Like, would I sign up for Ryan Tannehill on the Bills today? And I mean, maybe that question's harder a year ago because maybe you say, "No, well, let's see what we got with Tyrod Taylor." But 
uh, that's always tough. And then you see guys, you have to throw money at these guys because, like you said, there's so much instability there. What do you do? What what else can you do? And that's why I always said the stuff about Saints and the and Breeze are so silly. The, the Saints aren't going to make a move on Drew Breeze. Why, why would they ever? You know, people don't get it. Like, people just look at it like this. And, and with Sean Payton, the same way. Yeah. I always debated. They don't. These are the best guys they've ever had in these spots, and they're not just going to move on. Uh, today was the first kind of day of the league calendar of importance because teams had a franchise, guys. Right. And there's a ton of guys. I mean, they gutted. The free agency sort of gutted. Uh, the Jets, uh, Muhammad Wilkerson, franchise mm-hmm. tag. Justin Tucker, Ravens, is putting the franchise on a kicker. Uh, Cordy Glenn in the Bills, franchise. That's a weird one, the kicker one. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah. He's tagged. So the the uh, uh, someone like Marvin Jones could get paid a pretty decent amount out in free agency this year. Yeah, that's a thin position, and we'll talk about the combine and what happened with wide receivers there in a second. Uh, Josh Norman, probably no surprise there, uh, franchised by the Panthers. Uh, Oliver Vernon, defensive end at the Dolphins. Von Miller, Von Miller got a special tag. He got the exclusive tag. And it's the first time a non-quarterback got that since 2007. It means that teams can't try to trade for Miller, and he gets a higher salary. Uh, the use of the tag for Miller means that Brock Osweiler and Malik Jackson uh, will be free agents, probably. Von Miller's a weird one, too. I mean, you just won a Super Bowl because you had an amazing defense. I mean, your quarterback played as bad as he could. Your offense did well, this is a Super nothing. Bowl MVP. Right. Yeah. Super Bowl MVP. I mean, everybody knows watching this situation that he's going to become the highest-paid defensive player of all time. Right. Well, franchise just... Sometimes just like doesn't you know, it piss guys off? Oh, I mean, I guess you have it to pisses do it at them this off point. if you make them play on right, the if goes franchise the contract. Right. But right okay. now you're just designating them. That's true. Uh, there's three more: uh, Kirk Cousins with the Redskins, uh, Eric Berry and the Chiefs, and uh, Tremaine Johnson of the Rams, cornerback. So that means Doug Martin is headed to a free agency, running back. If you're looking for that, he's okay. out there. Good time for him. To hit the market. Yeah, he had a nice... I mean, there's all these guys that... That was going to be my thing is... Uh, it's a bad time if you're a team... I mean, don't get me wrong. You'll take Von Miller's year and the Super Bowl ring every day. But uh, it's a bad time for him to have an amazing year from your salary cap and pocketbook perspective. And the same with uh, well, actually, Josh Norman. Might be a good year because the, the cap went up to $155 million. Oh, right. You know, yeah. so... Um, you know, the thing is really now is just can these teams make a deal... You know, because like you said, does it piss, piss them off? Yeah, it pisses them off. They have it to play playing, on it. Right. You know, if eventually you just kind of work out a deal, this is just kind of pr- protection for the teams uh, at this point. But um, on the opposite side of that, the Bills cut Mario Williams today, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of the Bills' first move back into relevancy after a while. Uh, they were very, very, very irrelevant. And then out of nowhere, one day, Mario oh, Williams signed, visited yeah. and they cop him here and he signed and... Was he as good as they thought? I don't know, but I think it... The only thing I would say about that is the first two years without Rex Ryan here, he was super consistent, and I want to say he played in like every game or almost every game. So maybe he didn't live up to the the contract, but nobody was going to unless you were like J.J. Watt or somebody. But uh, I think what you pay for at that position is the consistency. But then under Rex... He was in no man's land, it seemed like. So This wasn't the right fit, maybe. Yeah, I don't know how much that's Mario Williams, how much that's Rex's system. and They I, cut I don't someone know. else, too, today, didn't they? 
They, I didn't write I, it down. You know what? Every headline was cut Mario William and others. So others, I didn't. Okay. I assume they were it's a bunch of jabrones. Yeah. The Saints also released uh, Marcus Colston. We'll mention it just because. Look at. I I sent some tweets yesterday. You can check them out. It's not. It's not like a. It didn't hit me with a ton of breaks. It's not a surprise. Um, this was coming. I was surprised it didn't happen last year. I was glad he got to play the extra year. He's the greatest Saints wide receiver of all time. He's my number two Saints player of all time on my favorite list. And that probably means that no one could ever get higher than three. Like, I can't imagine what a guy would have to do to pass Colson or Breeze. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I going gonna... to talk. I mean, you're going to have to talk about, like, a, like a Jack Eichel coming to the Saints that <laughs> ends up being better than Wayne Gretzky, probably, to pass right. one of those guys. Yeah, those you know. uh, definitely not an NFL Hall of Famer. They must have a Wall of Fame or something. Oh yeah, ring, ring of Famer, uh, okay. ring of Fame for yeah. the Saints. And that, I mean, never played in a Pro Bowl. And, and there was a one year where he really got screwed. They took Larry Fitzgerald just because of the name instead of him. Sure, but um, an unbelievable seventh round pick. Yeah, one of the top three or four seventh round picks of all time. Shannon Sharp is probably the best seventh round pick of all time. Uh, he's certainly the best seventh round pick of all time when that was the last round of the draft there used to be more rounds so oh, right yeah. uh when that was the seventh round draft he was the best so uh nothing but i mean he's everything you want a guy on your team really to be you never heard anything from him off the field or anything, uh, no so yeah uh one last thing about the nfl they had the combine you watch the combine on the nfl network uh the few times i flipped to it it's been the fat guys like the d linemen and stuff like that and i can only watch them sidestep back and forth so many times and i don't know what's going on i i'm a, consider myself a pretty big football fan i watch uh i watch all all i've got the i watch tons of football i play tons of fantasy football i uh used to play madden all the time but i still don't know what like five technique is or three you know what i mean like all that stuff that mike mayock will talk about and then they'll talk about a guy running sideways clicking his heels and stuff like that but i have no idea what i'm watching so well eric at home from yahoo has some winners and losers want to look at this for a second sure uh carson wentz quarterback from north dakota state people say the best quarterback in the draft yeah which is crazy really because of his how do you get from north, north dakota, dakota state? state to the best quarterback in the draft yeah is this like classic overrating a guy based on goes to whatever? show how imperfect uh Recruiting can be. I guess so. And I'll get back to that in a second. Uh, Dak Prescott, quarterback from Mississippi State. Um, he can own the room. He impressed us at a, uh, an unnamed team representative. <laughs> uh, the San Diego Chargers were winners uh, for two reasons. One, Florida State's Jalen Ramsey blew the roof off of o- Lucas Oil Field. With his workout and Miles Jack gave enough positive hope med- medically um, that it provides two more trade up candidates for the number three pick. Okay. Okay. So that means <laughs> the Chargers could slide. I guess it's just saying yeah. gives the Chargers some flexibility. That's three. Sure. Um, so good for them. What, what do they? What do they think about these quarterbacks? Is he going to go like number one overall because he deserves to, or because he's the guy that's like? Is this going to be like an EJ Manuel like? Where quarterbacks get taken earlier? Not at one. I mean, no. I mean, I think if you're picking, look, there's still a good chance the lineman, the offensive tackle. It means the Titans have the pick. They're not picking a quarterback. Oh, right. Yeah, that's so. Right. I mean, it's unless there's a trade, the quarterback isn't going first overall. It's weird that a guy I never heard about. I mean, not that I'm a big college guy, but again, you said that. Yeah, I mean, they've been talking about Tunsil the lineman or whatever. If that's how you say his name all year, 
Uh, Shaq Lawson, a DN at Clemson. I've heard of him. Yeah, uh, who was great in the playoffs. Um, he was a big winner. Charles Tapper from Oklahoma. And then we have some losers, wide receiver needy teams. I mentioned this. Uh, it's talking about um, the franchise tags. Uh, all the wide receivers ran really slow, I guess. Um, so, I don't know. I guess that means someone like uh, Sterling Shepard from Oklahoma, who's a slot guy, really, in the NFL. A playmaker and hard worker. Someone you like, but not a classic, really, first-round right. wideout. Could be the first one taken. Um, another loser, Ohio State quarterback Cardell Jones. He's the one who won the national championship for them and didn't come out. Remember, went back. Yeah. Um, he hurt his hamstring in the 40-yard dash. Um, so, yeah, he's got a March 13th to get healed. That's his pro day. Uh, or who knows what will happen with him. Uh, Christian Hackenberg, the uh, quarterback from Penn State, he was the number one overall five-star recruit okay. for his class in high school. Um, and he, he didn't work out really at Penn State, and now uh, he's bad at the Combine. And um, a college director said uh, he made excuses for his bad play in a team interview. I didn't like that. Hmm. Um, so uh, can that's you remember, a little bit about the Combine. Yeah, can you remember any Combine making a huge difference? I mean, the one that stands out to me is Sam Bradford. He came into the Combine, and maybe he was expected to go, I don't know, in the top 10 probably still, but he had put on like 20 pounds of muscle or whatever, and people were blown away by that, and he went. Well, there's guys like, who's the guy who paints now? The Bills drafted in the first round. The uh, defensive end uh, uh, from Penn State, maybe. I mean, that's an example of a guy who, you know, you ignore that he only played yeah. one year of football. Because he was a workout Because he just something. killed it at the combine. Yeah. So, I mean, it happens every year. Yeah, People move, move up and down this thing because of it. You know, Brandon Cooks probably might wouldn't have been a first rounder, but he ran the fastest forty time in the NFL draft. Oh, okay, so he snuck into the bottom. You know, uh, part of the first round draft. So that happens every year. Yeah, uh, the NHL trade deadline was yesterday, and obviously, based on the fact we didn't lead with it, that was boring. Probably wasn't that good. No, the biggest name that got moved was actually Saturday uh, when Eric Stahl got traded to. The New York Rangers. Yeah, and he's kind of biggest in name only right now. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely the biggest. He can make. He can. He's a guy who can impact the playoff run. Yeah, absolutely. But you are totally relying on the idea that he was only bad because his team was so bad. Like, I mean, he's he's putting up worse production than he might not help them, but he could. No, uh, yeah, I agree. you know what I mean for sure. Uh, you know, like. I don't know. Chris Versteeg is not going to win yeah. the cup for the Kings. Right. And the guy that Dallas traded for that I never heard of that they gave up a potential <laughs> first overall pick or first round pick. You for. never heard of Chris Russell? No. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Don like sports just took a nick. He's an unbelievable defenseman that really maybe the best player on the Calgary Flames. Hmm. Non forward for sure. I mean, that he's probably the number one. D-man available at the deadline. Yeah. I mean, he, it, it's a little unfair to say you never heard of him because he plays in the Western Conference and he's not offensive. Right. You know what I mean? He's, he's not an Eric Carlson type. Sure. He's a Henrik Talender type, probably. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, he can have that kind of impact defensively. 
but you probably why let him go? They're gonna lose him for nothing. I mean, it must have been a UFA thing. He is right? a UFA, yeah. yeah. So and they got a nice haul for him. They and did. They did. And yeah. I think he's from Calgary, uh, and and that will go up to a uh, a first round, first round if, if they, they make the third round. Right. I believe. Um, interesting thing about them, and I follow this team very closely because I have a friend in the organization. They got down to eleven forwards. They made the last trade of the day. Um, which is a small trade. Um, they traded David Jones, a forward in Minnesota, for Nicholas Backstrom, goalie we all know who hasn't played a game this year, injuries. Right. In the sixth-round pick. And that brought them down to 11 players. So because they caused the minimum, being below the minimum forwards, they have already used one of their four remaining call Oh, emergency call-ups. It's yeah. not an emergency call-up, so it counts against... Oh, emergency is different. Right, it okay, counts right. against the four you get. So they're down to three already. I think they're the only team. What is an emergency one? Is that like when the, the Sabres like, had to play Vin or whatever It'd be like was? if you went down to 11 forwards because of injury. Because of injury. Right. Gotcha. So 12 is the minimum amount of forwards. Right. I think 8 is the minimum amount of D. If you fall below that because of injury, you can call up an emergency player. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else... That jumped out at you. Lee Stepniak's on his ninth team now. He got traded to Boston. Yeah, I guess the question is why. Is it – I heard a couple of theories. A lot of the GMs and stuff who would probably know the best seem to think it's because of the salary cap that makes moving harder. But, I mean, the salary cap's been in place for years, and it hasn't been Well, it's the third year in the CBA. And they think it might not go up much. And they think that when you get kind of a year or two into the CBA, you've learned – kind of things you can't do anymore, you know, mistakes you have to avoid. Do you think any of it has to do with teams not willing to give up first-round picks because of the lottery? Maybe. No yeah, first, I don't think any first-round picks were traded outright. Right. I mean, I guess if you're Chicago and you trade a first-round pick, that's no big deal. Like, the Sabres and uh, Senators made the AHL blockbuster trade of all time, huh? Eight players. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand that trade. There are seven players in a conditional I mean, that's one of those trades that I guess you just assume. Alex Guptill, a guy that the Sabres got in that trade, he played juniors with Anthony. He was unbelievable at the University of Michigan. Mm -hmm. He even left a year early. He was so good at Michigan, and he has been a bust. Really? So, I mean, that's a guy It's like, all right, let's see if that organization just won't work in for him. You know, like Tim Murray talked about Schneider. Yeah, well, he's name? from Buffalo. Oh, okay. You know, he went. He's from Williamsville. He went to UConn. Left after like two years. It's like kind of like a weird trajectory. I think he's he's not. I don't think he's an NHL player. Oh, that's weird because he's the one he mentioned, like he, by name. I maybe, think you mentioned him by name because he's, he's from, from here. here. Yeah. Um, but I think Guptill is the guy that they're probably most excited. But I mean, he has been a giant bust. Don't get me wrong. But like, if there's anyone, maybe that could. Emerge from that. Uh, James Reimer was the backup goalie. A lot of teams got stuck with assets. Sabres probably being one. You know, McGinn is the only guy the Sabres were able to unload. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you could sign a guy like Chad Johnson, the Sabres goalies have kind of really good numbers this year, especially if you go by things like save percentage. Uh, if you could sign Chad Johnson and convince him to, be, to continue to be a backup, play 25 games a year or whatever, I think that's – yeah, I've been really impressed with Leonard. Good guy to keep around. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else about this? No, it was very boring. Usually it's like that. I mean, I guess now draft day becomes maybe a busier time because you've got all these teams with all these picks, and uh, then there's always free agency. 
All right, last thing. Um, St- Steph Curry, we played the highlight. Yeah. And Unreal. then uh, second, we're going to end this segment. We're going to get Tess Mellis on with us. Um, I actually got kind of lucked into checking this out. Um, I was watching the NHL had yet another outdoor game. Mm-hmm. The third one that was broadcast on NBC this year. They had the Winter Classic. It was Detroit. And a couple weeks ago, they had the um, Wild and Blackhawks playing an outdoor game. And they had Detroit and Colorado in the Rockies. Uh, that was the a baseball stadium. That, I mean, I haven't, I didn't watch. I might have caught some of the Chicago one, but that's the coolest looking one. I can remember the night game, kind of under the lights. You get a little bit of the reflection. Yeah, it's like seventy degrees there that day, and they had all this uh, fake snow, and it got windy, and they had a fake snow delay. Oh, really? It was all the fake snow. That was all fake the ice. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it was like seventy degrees there. There wasn't any actual snow. I did hear that. The practice the day before or morning of was canceled because the ice was bad. That's funny that all that – because someone uh, – I had some friends over, and someone's like, where's all the snow from? And he's like, I'm like, oh, it's in Colorado. It's got yeah. to And a huge, huge uh, alumni game, which got maybe more buzz than the regular game. Yeah. I mean, anytime you got Steve Eiserman scoring on Patrick Waugh in 2016, that's going to get some buzz. Yeah, plus the rivalry. All the Joe Sackick played, you know, when you played in it, McCarty. It's like really back to that, like you said, that rivalry. It's really cool. It's a good week on there, and I just I was really it was two to two or three to three late in the game. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if this night game ends with a little three on three? And then Detroit scored in the last minute, literally, to get that win. And then I just flipped over. It's like, all right, that's over. And I got to catch the last two minutes of uh, of the game, and I got to see Steph Curry's shot, and it was, you know, ridiculous. Especially with just the, like, kind of matter-of-fact calmness that he kind of just picked up the ball, just kind of calmly dribbled down and just, you know, shot it 36 feet into the hoop like like nothing. Yeah. You know? So, it's pretty impressive. And uh, why don't we... I, I wanted to ask you if you've seen it. You didn't, right? Well, you didn't get no, that not live. live. You no. did see some of the hockey that night, though? I did, yeah. Yeah, so why don't we, uh, instead of trying to speculate about what's going on. Real quick, if yeah. you're going to end the segment. Yeah. I was looking for the odds that they were going to beat that record. Like if they okay. were the Vegas yeah, odds. They, it's got to be in their favor right now. They have to go something in four the rest of the way to beat it. Something in five to tie it. Yeah. Whatever so they they're, they're definitely on pace, too. Right. I don't want to bore you with reading an article. But, uh, yeah, they're... Betting odds flip to favor Warriors setting regular season record. That okay, was so it's, of, a, it's a favor. That was as now. about six So you have days to ago. bet more yeah. to win. I don't know the exact numbers. The other thing I was going to give is an update to one of the three things we did a while back, and that uh, Eroldis Chapman did get a 30 game suspension, and he's not going to appeal. He was the pitcher traded from the Reds to the Yankees that had, like, the right. shadow so of so he's just going to take the 30 games? He's going to take it. He kind of accepts guilt, but not quite. He says, I accept the 30-game suspension, blah, blah, blah. I want to be clear, I did not in any way harm my girlfriend that evening. Oh, you see the one that took the gun into the garage or yeah. something? Yep. Okay. I just remember we talked about this. Oh, it's perfect for the Yankees. As far as, yeah. They got that guy for nothing, and all he's got to do is sit out April? Right. And basically, you're going to have him back in... Yeah, that's weird. A pitcher should face probably a different suspension. Mid-May sometime. But, I mean, he's a relief pitcher. One of the greatest bullpens ever assembled, so they're saying. I think that's a great deal for the Yankees. Yep. That's, yeah, that's got to be best-case scenario. I would that. think so. Yeah, I, was just I wonder off- if the Reds knew it was going to be 30 games, or they still make that trade. No, that's what we kind of talked about, too, that day, is I think you were kind of like, 
his girlfriend said something, and now that's kind of hanging in the air. And it sounds like he's not uh, denying necessarily what happened, just saying that he didn't hurt her. Didn't hurt her, but just the accusation had the air. I mean, it made Cincinnati do something. You know what I mean? Like they right. had to trade away a guy that maybe they wouldn't have wanted to. I don't know. Maybe that shows something about his judgment. Either way, he gets 30 games for a pitcher, which is nothing. All right. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Tass Malice. All right, our next guest is from Toronto, Ontario. He is the co-founder and co-host of what was originally called the Basketball Jones Podcast. I was trying to think of that the other day. I couldn't remember it. Uh, There's a blog, a TV show that appeared on the Score Television Network. It's evolved uh, to a show on the NBA Network called The Starters. Uh, And he's making his seventh appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to our friend, Tass Mellis. What's going on, bud? How you doing, Steve? Sometimes I forget the name of uh, Basketball Jones, too. It's oh, been was, a while. I was racking my brain trying to remember what it was before it was called the Starters. Because it was called the Basketball Jones on Grantland, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were on Grantland for yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of seasons, yeah. Yeah, because I was, I was telling somebody about, about it. Probably just that, I, you know, we were having you on and... Uh, you know, and I was telling him, yeah, you know, the starters, it's so huge. And I'm like, but it was on Grantland. And I'm like, but it was called something. I don't know. <laughs> and then I, and then I, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was the basketball Jones, you know, like you're Jonesing yep. for some, you're Jonesing yeah. for basketball. And, mm-hmm. and Cheech and Chong weren't a fan of that because, uh, not that they cared. I don't actually mean that they weren't a fan, but because it was, uh, the Cheech and Chong song, The Basketball Jones. Uh, that's where people thought we sort of originated our name from, but we just, you know, we came up with it as, uh, you know, we were hardcore super fans that started out independent, you know, Jones and for, for basketball talk, like a lot of people out there, and uh, so we started an independent show, and it, man, uh, yeah, that was, uh, you know, that was over 10 years ago now. We're well, never going to get any lip from a guy who named his show The Sportscasters. Obviously, that didn't, <laughs> didn't take uh, take any um, imagination. Obviously, <laughs> although uh, you know, people don't for some reason understand that we call it that because we mostly have sportscasters on the show. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like that eludes people. So that's even a dumber name because people don't even understand why. Uh, anyway, so you're saying our name was dumb. No, I mean mine is even dumber than it seems because people don't even get. Oh, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's saying, not you it's all them that's not you <laughs> uh listen i i think you know that basketball's number four for me but you know it's around this time i start getting energized a little bit and and start getting excited and uh i was for march I, madness <laughs> yes exactly yep 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 oklahoma all the way uh you know i can't wait for some buddy ball <laughs> Uh, no, in general, I mean, I love I love the spring because of the NHL and the NBA playoffs. I mean, March Madness is like here. March Madness is two awesome days: the first Thursday and Friday. Then you got to like wait around for the next weekend. The Final Four always stinks, uh, or mostly. 
Uh, I think it's a little overrated event. I prefer the NCAA hockey tournament. But uh, um, I was watching on Saturday, I was watching a little bit of the NHL outdoor game, which the NHL is ruining because the NHL, they ruin things. And they have three of these a year. You know, It started with one. You probably even remember it as a basketball guy. in Buffalo, Pittsburgh, and, and the Sabres at the Bills Stadium. And it looked like it was played in a snow globe. It was just all this beautiful snow. That was the original one, and, and now they have all these. But anyway, I was watching a couple of minutes of it, and uh, it ended. And I'm like, okay, now what? And by the grace of God, what was next was me stumbling into the the, uh, the Oklahoma City Golden State game on ABC. And I got to yeah. watch the last three minutes of regulation and the overtime. And... I was like, all right, I want to do seven of these in the spring. <laughs> I want to, I want, I want to see that. This is, uh, this is. There was uh, not to bring up another hockey thing, but there was like a time where every year is like, what do we have to do to get Detroit and Colorado in the playoffs? And I feel like this is the most imperative basketball series of my lifetime. We need to get Oklahoma City, Golden State, at all costs. And that's with me knowing, and this is where I'm going to open up to you. That I'm ignoring again, like I always do, the fifty-one and nine Spurs. Like the Spurs <laughs> are just always, always, always there, and that's kind of what I want you to start with. We'll get to Golden State and Oklahoma City, but how, the Spurs are fifty-one and nine again, twenty-nine and zero at home. <laughs> uh, it is a little ridiculous. Um... This is a, a little different Spurs because uh, they created a monster in Kawhi Leonard, uh, who was a guy they got on draft day uh, from San Diego State. I believe he played in. I'm not a huge college guy, but um, that's right. Yeah. He was a guy that uh, you know wasn't really um, you know there weren't a lot of skills associated with Kawhi Leonard other than being um, a monster of a of a defender and. You know, analytics into play with with Kawhi because basically uh, a lot of basically his measurements are off the charts. Um, so you know, from his hands to his length. Uh, so they took him and just put him in the lab. And uh, I mean, that's what the Spurs did, and and that's the thing. You know, from the outside looking in, it's like how do they do it? Well, for somehow they just create these guys uh, through their player development and. Uh, and actually, 2011, um, you know, I had a chance to visit this first practice facility, and and you know, it's part of the what I'm about to say is sort of par- part of the lore that is the San Antonio Spurs. But just walking in there, I could just taste the discipline. You know, I could just taste like how much they're into player development and getting the most out of the guys, and and not giving a care about everything else around the game. You know, we had Robert Ory uh, on our set at All Star Weekend. You know, winning championships with the Spurs, and he brought up that they wouldn't let him uh, do some uh, some sponsorships, being a, be a spokesman for for some things in San Antonio because they're just all about the business. And uh, and you know, it, it, it sounds boring from the outside uh, because at times, you know, it's just about the basketball, and there's no sort of uh, you know uh, flash comes with the substance but um man as you said you know Kawhi is sort of now the the main linchpin there but uh they they still have so much around him and um you know they they usually don't get 
the big free agents, but they were able to acquire Lucas Aldridge, uh, who, you know, was a 20-point score, a perennial 20-point score with uh, the Blazers, but now has been put into sort of a secondary role and just fit in with the Spurs perfectly. It's uh, it's a team of extremely talented guys, uh, you know, a few old guys who are really, really going after it in what could be, you know, their second last year, I'm talking specifically about Tim Duncan and, right. and Manu Ginobili. And uh, it's a machine. It is a, a machine that, uh, it, you know, it, it, along with, it's not just the old guys, though, you know, they do have some fun parts that kind of make it sound boring, <laughs> you know, but it's uh, it's beautiful basketball, obviously, the way they share it. And um, and then you have guys like Kawhi who are, I don't know how he, you know, somehow created a beautiful three-point shot. Uh, it's got all the skills and, and, you know, along with Danny Green beside him, they're just, they're really versatile. And, uh, again, I mean, they're just, they just fulfill everything that pop wants. It's just, uh, it, it is what every, I'm sure, you know, su- is looking for through his roster. And, um, uh, I, it's a machine and, uh, you know, I don't know how that machine breaks down or, or fades away once Duncan is gone because he is sort of the, you know, that disciplined guy that makes it go. But uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this this run because the Spurs want it just as bad uh, as anybody else and maybe even a little more at the end of uh, Timmy's run. Well, you know, it's like I remember when they beat the uh, the Heat in the finals for sure. You know, the narrative was enjoy this. Enjoy this rare group because, you know, this is probably the end for them. It's like I feel like I've heard that narrative over and over and over. And yet every yeah. every time I look at the standings, you know, and sometimes they don't annihilate the regular season to this degree because, you know, we've always I've always learned that they've just become the great uh, – Popovich has been a great manipulator of the schedule and, and, and maybe a, or one of the reasons they've been successful in the playoffs is the way he's kind of managed his bench and his team during the regular season and not be as ground down when it got to playoffs as other teams. Is that – a false narrative that we've kind of made up, or is that part of it too? Just the way he he lets guys get their rest, you mean? Yeah, just kind of like, you know, yeah, you know, I, I've always thought and been conditioned to know it's like, well, he'll just sit a guy, you know, well, he's just not playing tonight. You know, like we hear about maintenance days off in hockey, but that's practice. You know, those aren't games where he'll just take it to the level of not going tonight. You know, we're going to – like how many games has Duncan played so far this year? I'm sure he's not taxing the guy. He's going to be no. as fresh as he could be for these playoffs, right, for his age. No, and it, it, it's – yeah, they'll, they'll all be fresh. Uh, that's definitely uh, a part of the MO. Uh, you know, it's sort of being a little bit more popularized in the NBA as yeah. well throughout the league. You know, LeBron took two weeks off last year, takes a – a game off here and there. Um, everybody is, uh, I think, just becoming a little bit more knowledgeable about uh, body maintenance uh, throughout the league. And, and yeah, Pop kind of kicked that off. Uh, and everyone's sort of following in line with Pop, which happens in a lot of aspects of, uh, of the NBA. But, uh, you know, that, that series you mentioned, uh, that was likely the most beautiful basketball I've ever seen. And it's, it's, one thing to watch a team like that play, and then it's one thing to watch a team like Oklahoma City, uh, as you you brought up. You know, the it's it's a dichotomy uh, of two different styles. You know, KD and Russ. Uh, no, we don't need to pass. Right. They have the least amount of 
uh, uh, passes in the game as tracked by NBA.com, which is a, a cool feature there. They pass it the least amount, uh, but they're a really successful offense. Uh, and then you look at the, the Spurs, or the exact opposite. They don't have takeover talent, but Greg Popovich evolved. Uh, he used to have takeover talent. He used to be able to just dump it down to Timmy, uh, and if it didn't work, you had an athletic guy in Manu or Tony to make it happen from the outside. So it was uh, it's an evolution for them. I mean, they used to be a lot more like the Thunder, for example, uh, because they were good enough. They never had a, a KD, but um, you know, Kawhi is now starting to be able uh, to sort of be let off the leash. And, and that happened in that finals to some degree. I say they passed the ball and all that, but Kawhi was allowed to come up the floor from the backcourt, bring it up and shoot it, pull up. And that, to some degree, isn't a Popovich-type team, right? He he's just wants to wants everybody not to be in shackles, but to be in their own role uh, and to be sort of conditioned in that role. But uh, Kawhi is busting out of that. He's, uh, he's a pretty unique player. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think as far as uh, – I went way away from your question, but as no, far sorry, as the, uh, the health and the maintenance, everybody's doing it. And, um, you know, the, the Warriors, for example, you know, they don't really have to play fourth quarters a lot of the time because they're, <laughs> uh, they're kicking butt so hard. So uh, they're, they're all very well – like the Warriors didn't have any injuries last year. And they take care of themselves uh, extremely well. And um, I, I think it's just become uh, such a focus for NBA teams that it's not just the Spurs doing it, but it's it's becoming pretty pretty league-wide, and the best teams um, do it a little bit more and uh, care about it a little bit more than the other ones. Well, everyone's talking about Golden State. I don't want to spend too much time on them, but I do want to ask you, like, you know, you got a team that's 54-5 and five right now as we talk. You know that game that I was lucky enough to to watch the end of. It's it's Curry who makes the big three from however many feet I've heard, like thirty six different lengths that that shot was. It's like the shot that was that close. That was close to thirty six. I think yeah. it was thirty four point five. I I'm, I'm pretty sure it just keeps getting longer <laughs> by the day. I think that shot by the time he reti- <laughs> retires to be a seventy footer that he hit at the buzzer. Uh, but um, and then it, you know was it the next game they played against Atlanta where it's Thompson hitting the ridiculous three-point shot. It's like, it seems like these guys always have a shot that, you know, that the other team just can't answer. It's like there's always that other shot with them, it seems like. Is is that what makes yeah, them so yeah. good? I mean, is it, am, am I being perceptive here? Or is it, <laughs> it, or is it more, it just, that's just what I, you know, something I've noticed. It's like, man, nobody else is hitting that shot and they just always seem to find it. And it's not always Curry. Well, I mean, usually is. But. I think that's a, a, it's a product of winning a championship uh, to me. Uh, they just have, you know, ridiculous confidence and, and they feel like the shots that they practice in practice are, are uh, converting to game attempts and they look extremely comfortable like they are in practice. Like Andre Iguodal is a 60% free throw shooter, but at the end of that game uh, against the Thunder, he was able to bang home two free throws. You know, and he did the he did the old Jordan shrug afterwards because you know they just to me they're just dripping oozing with confidence and yeah Clay stepping up to the three point line Steph uh, it, it does feel you know like it's their year I mean I tweeted right after that Hawks game watching it it was a pretty ugly game you know no Steph out there to make it happen right. um, they shot under forty percent and they shot worse from the three point line than the Hawks you know a, a paltry thirty three percent which. You know, isn't very good. It's below league average, but they still win. It's just 
uh, it seems like it's their year, um, and uh, they keep they keep pulling up those lucky clovers. And it's just uh, not not that anything is luck. They just they just have uh, a ridiculous confidence about them. Uh, and um, even when Steph sits like he he did in that game, uh, it's uh, I don't know. Everything's coming up. Uh, Warriors and uh, you know, like you said, like the the Spurs are kind of on their heels. That and yeah. they could have caught them. You know, if one of these you know clay shots doesn't go down, or or they aren't able to steal that ball from KD at the end of the game, we could be talking about the Spurs being you know two games behind them, a game and a half behind them, and then possibly getting the one seed. But uh, that's the cool thing about the Warriors is that they come into this, they came into this season um, with. Not a whole heck of a lot to prove because they just won the championship. But there's, you know, really, really, really uh, going for every single game, and uh, and yeah, to prove those people who called them lucky because they were healthy and uh, you know didn't meet the Spurs or didn't meet the Clippers uh, and didn't meet a healthy Cavs team, they're they're looking to prove everyone wrong. So uh, you can't count against them at any point. Yeah, and I wonder if having the Spurs kind of there is a blessing to some degree. I mean, I guess maybe at this point, the chances of breaking that record is motivation enough to kind of not get caught in a real late-season lull that takes you like half of the playoffs to get out of. Uh, but, you know, maybe that's just something that they're just never going to lose this edge and they'll be able to just maintain it right through. You know, the basketball playoffs, are, I've, I've, been, I've, been, I've been taught this and I've seen it play out in the series. It's all about matchups when you get to the playoffs. Is there a matchup that is the most difficult for Golden State when you get to a seven-game series? Is there one team that maybe – I mean, obviously, when you're 54-5, and five, you're not talking about a team you'd like to avoid. But is there a team that matchup-wise would be the best spoiler for them? And, and maybe the obvious answer is just, well, duh, there's a 51-team win right behind them. But uh, uh, besides that, more of just like matching up on the court in a sense. Yeah, I don't want to simplify, but sometimes it, it is yeah, uh, a little simple. simple. Yeah. Uh, not not just the Spurs uh, with with the Thunder. Um, those two guys and, and Katie and Russ, they're unstoppable uh, when they want to be. It's just uh, can they play an entire forty eight minutes? Can they uh, execute down the stretch? Um, but they match up with the Warriors. It seems to be. They don't really have an answer uh, for those two, like you know, ninety-nine percent of the teams out there. So uh, them and, and the Spurs, um, because they will play for forty-eight minutes, because they won't wave another solid matchup. You was thinking about this matchup, you know, in the off season when uh, you know he he signed Lamarcus Aldridge and uh, decided, you know, we're going to slow it down. Uh, we're do the exact opposite of what the of the Warriors do. Uh, we're going to beat them with size when we when we do match up, and uh, you know we have a couple guys that can uh, can guard pretty well on the perimeter uh, to to match up with the, the Splash Bros. That being said, you know Steph is you know making everyone rendering everyone useless on the perimeter, no matter who's guarding him. Um, but I, I think both those teams have a, a decent shot, and that's why I'm pretty pumped for you know a good three rounds of the playoffs, you know, rounds two through four should be, uh, should be awesome to watch. Cause you're going to see the Warriors match up probably with, with those two teams. If not those two teams, one of those would be the Clippers, uh, subbed in for the Thunder or the Spurs. And then a finals against uh, whoever's there from the East. Yeah. I was going to ask you if you thought 
real, real quickly if the Clippers can get back into this kind of discussion that we're having, kind of breaking it down to a big three in the West. But do you think that when Blake Griffin gets back and, uh, uh, you know, obviously it's it's a team that I thought got off to a pretty good start kind of following in the beginning. Do you think that this is a team that can get back into this discussion as, uh, I mean, they only have two less wins than Oklahoma City and we're talking about them like someone who could beat Golden State and, uh, you know, the Clippers have seemed like a team that was close. I don't know what they were close to, but they just have felt close for a while now, you know? Yeah, they're knocking on the door. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, got last year in the second round when they were up uh, 3-1 to the Rockets Houston, uh, in yeah. round two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should have gone, you know, to the conference finals if they could have held on to one of those games. Uh, and uh, if they had a bit of a deeper bench, uh, you know, their guys wouldn't have been gassed. But they just... They seem to let games go, the key games go uh, occasionally at the end. Um, but no, I'm you know I'm I'm, I'm pro Clippers. I definitely thought um, that for a long time that they matched up with the Warriors really well. I mean, they had a 23 point lead on the Warriors this year, but let the game slip. Uh, you know, they lost another one by a single digits. Like, you know, I think it was it was four or seven. It was a it was a really close game, and then um, and then they played them without Blake, and they lost uh, by double digits. But uh, they match up well, you know. It's uh, it's a very very good team, and uh, it's uh, it's it's just how do they come together when Blake comes back? Uh, and uh, you know, some some teams just don't have that that mental um, strength uh, to uh, or resiliency to to make it through. But um, you know, can they prove it wrong? Like you know, uh, Doc said that this is probably the last year or or at least we're coming towards the end of this iteration of the Clippers uh, so to me they got to put it all on the table I think uh, you know Blake probably has to be extremely motivated after after being out for so long with a uh, self-imposed injury Stupidity, yeah. so I, I do believe in, in the Clippers and um, uh, it's just you know through all these obstacles can they overcome it uh, and and be really good teams likely on the road. But as you mentioned, they're a game and a half behind the Thunder, and they beat a team that wasn't um, mentally strong enough to hold them off on Wednesday night. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, they, they sensed it, I think. They sensed from the other side. They're like, oh, we've been there before. We've given up 19-point leads before. Uh, so And they pounced on it. So, you know, maybe that gives them some confidence. But uh, they've, they're definitely in the... Uh, in the backseat while, you know, the Spurs are, and uh, Warriors are, are driving that ship. The Sportscast are here with Task Balance from uh, the Starters on NBA Network. Finishing up, he's at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S on Twitter. And, of course, you can watch the Starters. It's uh, daily pretty much on NBA Network, right? You guys on there uh, Monday through Friday now? Oh, yeah, Monday through Friday, yeah. NBA TV, uh, weeknights, you know, usually around 7 Eastern. And uh, you know, DVR, check your local listings. Uh, we are uh, we're quite available. You know, we're all over the social medias, and uh, you know, you can uh, can see our half hour show. It's easy to digest. It's a good time. Well, since we ignored it and we're pretty much out of time, why don't you give me two minutes on the Eastern Conference? Everything I need to know, and then I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you need to know. Well, most the fifteen teams are on the Eastern side of North America, but generally, a, I guess. On the, I mean, but, on the east of the Mississippi, basically, right? We're looking at geography, ge- geographically speaking. 
That's what you want to know, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, um, Chicago maybe being the furthest yeah. west of the teams. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, the Cavs are an interesting watch right now. Uh, you know, they're, uh, as we speak here, they're only two games up on the Raps. The Raps hold a tiebreaker, uh, and no one really expects the Raptors to be able to topple uh, the Cavs or any team in the East to topple the Cavs. Um, but uh, just watching the Cavs on their own as sort of a, a psychological experiment is pretty interesting because, uh, you can see Braun is frustrated with his team. He, I don't think he truly believes that this is a championship team at this point. And you can tell by his body language, he kind of gives up on a few plays per game, uh, cause he's, I think frankly he's angry and, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't think the other guys are putting in a, a championship type effort, probably, you know, behind the scenes, uh, and in games. And, uh, he kind of takes it out on guys, in my opinion, by, not taking a possession off here or there and maybe not running as hard on a possession here or there. Uh, and uh, and so they're interesting to watch. They should still have enough talent to get through everybody. I guess the, the interesting team to watch as a, as a second team for those Cavs is the Heat uh, with Wade, the newly signed Joe Johnson, Gorn Dragic, Lil Dang, and potentially a Chris Bosh who uh, is currently out uh, because – because of blood clots, so uh, we have no idea on the timeline on him. Um, but, you know, I mention all those names because you throw all those names in a playoff series, you put them all together, do they have enough time to come together? You know, Joe Johnson just recently signed. Probably not, um, but all those names are fantastic. They've had a lot of playoff success, uh, including championships. Uh, so I think that is the team to to watch for if Chris Bosch comes back and is extremely healthy, although that. First and foremost, he has to get healthy because he's. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how serious it is, but you know, he missed uh, you know half a season last year because of it. Came back, and everyone thought it was fine, but um, you know, put them up against the Cavs in a series. If if they are resilient, if if they can be the best version of themselves, which we haven't seen yet, the Heat are pretty inconsistent. Um, but otherwise, you know, I'm pulling at straws here because the Cavs are the best team in the East. Right, they're they definitely. I'm not sure if they're east of the Mississippi, but they're definitely the best team. Yeah, they in definitely the Eastern are. Conference. Definitely east of the Mississippi. All right, uh, very, very, <laughs> very last thing. Um, have the Lakers and the Knicks found their next superstar to drive these teams in the two biggest markets in the United States back to NBA relevancy and um, playoff and championship con- contention? Are uh, Russell and, and uh, Por- Porzingis are, are these the are these the guys that are, are these guys as good as they seem as rookies? Are, are you confident they found number one championship type stars or no? No, they're. I mean, they're not. Either of those guys is not a, a one number one guy. At, uh, you know, it, it's we're talking sixty games into their careers, so it's. Um, can you run an offense through Porzingis at some point and he'd be the number one option with really great coaching? It's possible for sure. Uh, you know, when we saw, you know, not to compare him to another uh, foreign white power forward, but, uh, you know, Dirk Nowitzki came into the league looking not half as good as Kristaps Porzingis looks right now. Right. Uh, so, yeah, that can happen. Um, and D'Angelo Russell has just been given the leash to be himself uh, recently, you know, he's been, uh, he started the last six games, 
lost his starting job for a long stretch of the season. Uh, tweets about how he doesn't know why he's being benched, what's going on. The Lakers situation is a bit of a mess. You're talking about another situation with the Knicks, which is a bit of a mess. They fired Derek Fisher uh, when everyone, you know, kind of was surprised at how good they were. Uh, so there's two coaching situations and, and two locker rooms that aren't that stable. So it's kind of hard to judge talent in right. those unstable situations. And uh, those those two guys do have all the talent in the world. Uh, can D'Angelo Russell take over? Um, I, I have a little more faith in Kristaps at this point, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, it's unfair to judge Russell because he is an all-world talent at this point, uh, and uh, we just haven't really seen him uh, because of the circumstances there. So, you know, TBD on that, and um, and TBD on on the whole situation uh, in in both their cases. You know, the Lakers keep their pick if it's top three this year. You know, add. Add somebody incredible to uh, D'Angelo Russell's side and possibly Jordan Clarkson's side, and 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 you mentioned they're the biggest markets. I still believe in the Los Angeles Lakers being able to attract a big name free agent. Although some think that the attraction to LA is dead because of the situation that the situation there without a ton of talent. That being said, you move on from uh, from Byron Scott. I, I would say is a, is a likely scenario in the off season. Uh, and then it's a whole new ball game, uh, and there's there's lots of money to be had. There's lots of opportunities there. Uh, players love playing there. Players love playing in New York. Those both those situations aren't too far off. Um, but the Lakers situation kind of depends on draft picks. You know, unlike hockey, this is it's so so dependent uh, on drafting well, and they have a lot of free agent cap room this off season as well. Um, but you know, I'm not sure if they're gonna get one of the one of the huge guys. That's kind of uh, uh, not not that there's a thin crop of guys, but there's a te- a lot of a lot of money uh, available because the salary cap is going up because of the new TV deal that the, the NBA signed. Uh, kudos to the NBA for signing that deal, and because uh, we're all reaping the benefits. Yeah. Um, but uh, we're um, you know I, I do believe in both those scenarios, but. I think the coaching scenario in both situations is sort of up in the air, and and the locker room and culture is uh, is uh, a little bit sketchy in, in both of those positions. And I'm sure that's something that both organizations are going to look to uh, right immediately in in July. Well, I just I, I just think it's a better league with those teams being, especially the Lakers, uh, being important. So I hope I hope they can work it out. Uh, again, Tass Mellis is uh, one of the hosts of the Starters on the NBA Network, uh, which airs daily. He says around 7 p.m. You can check it out there. You can also find him on Twitter. He's at T-A-S-M-E-L-A-S. Thanks a lot, buddy. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Steve. Have a good one. I want to thank Tass Mellis for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. All right, book club update. I'm going to make it short because I am pretty sure this is the last one uh, for for this book. So I believe Mr. Wertheim will be with us next week to talk about This Is Your Brain on Sports, The Science of Underdogs, The Value of Rivalry, and What We Can Learn from the T-Shirt Cannon uh, by L. John Wertheim and Sam Summers. 
Um, this book is available everywhere. Check it out. We've talked a lot about it in the last couple episodes. Uh, very much feels like a score casting too. Uh, I can't wait to ask Mr. Wertheim, you know, is it essentially that, but with a different author? So, Right. Yeah. It's one of those questions. Like I can't remember. We had a question about a book before. Oh, uh, Puck Daddy's book. Is it a little bit like, how do you broach the subject of, is this a little bit hockey for dummies? Right. Like a little bit. Cause I, we didn't mean that as an insult, insult right. but like, that's the same thing with this. Like, that's not – we like scorecasting. One other uh, book-related thing I wanted to mention because we've talked about it over and over and over on the podcast. Jeff Passan's book about the pitching arm, that comes out in April already. About uh, Tommy John? Yeah, I and I should have a copy any day now. I talked to him uh, earlier last week. I was texting with him. He's down in Fort Myers for swing training. And I was texting him and going to get some books sent up this way as soon as they're printed. Uh, we're literally on the list to get them as soon as they're printed. Sweet. And uh, we're going to – he said the rollout starts April 1st, and we'll have him on. I mean, obviously, we're going to be just doing everything we can to help him sell that book. Yeah. So you can pre-order it on Amazon. It's called The Pitching Iron by Jeff Passan. So I wanted to mention that. Probably mention it from now until the end of April probably. Sure, yeah. So that's our OG. Right. All right, let's talk some hockey. All right, our next guest is based in Ottawa, Ontario, and is one of the more popular hockey humorists on the internet. Uh, we first met him when he was doing some stuff with Grantland, and uh, since then he's writing for Vice Sports and the Hockey News and Sportsnet.ca. Uh, he's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Sean McIndoo. Down goes Brown. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, not too much. How's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Just uh, was checking out some of these rosters. They're making a big deal about these rosters that are coming out. Um, and uh, it's kind of getting over uh, the first ever uh, McDavid and uh, the first ever McEichel battle last night. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that was that fun. Was cool to see it. Go ahead, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's what... You know, it's one of these things that the, whenever there's two guys like that coming into the league, the, the league always wants to sort of force it and turn it into a rivalry, where, whether it is or not. We saw them do that with Ovechkin and Crosby. Uh, they can't really do that here because, I mean, Buffalo and Edmonton have got no history at all, and they, they rarely play each other, and they won't ever meet in the playoffs unless it's in the final. Uh, so, you know, you kind of didn't get that whole sense of hype. And, you know, in a way, that you know, maybe that made it better because it just, you know, any any anything that did come out of it was just kind of organic and natural and, and not something that you felt like was being forced. And it was, uh, you know, it's cool to see those two go head to head. Yeah. It's kind of frustrating on my end. I mean, Dan Bilesma is so toned off apparently. I mean, for some reason, the game's in your building and for some reason you ignore the opportunity to have the guy announce that Eichel starting at center, you know, when McDavid is clearly going to be starting the game and he goes with a bunch of veterans who get scored on immediately by McDavid, a really nice goal. And then the end sequence, which I thought was his fault too because the Sabres had just barely killed off a long penalty um, that McDavid was on the ice the whole time for. And for some reason, which I didn't really understand because it's not like the whistle was icing or anything, 
um, you know, he called a timeout by Elsma, and then, you know, McDavid got to stay out there. So that didn't really make any sense. And then, you know, of course, Eichel misses by an inch, and McDavid comes down, and, you know, it's almost like Leonard moved his stick out of the way for him. So it's just frustrating from our end because, you know, it's already been since the beginning of the year. It's like, well, oh, you guys were big losers at the at the lottery, and don't pretend like you like Eichel now. You didn't want him. And uh, now the first meeting kind of goes like that, and it's all this kind of stuff again. And so it just can be frustrating, I guess. I love it. I love it. Turning on Dan Bilsma already. It's, that's fantastic. You know, look, Jack Eichel is, is a great player. I don't think anyone, I, I hope no one has ever suggested that any team uh, would be uh, would be unhappy to have a guy like that in the lineup. Uh, you know, my, my argument, my, or, you know, the case that I've made, and I've had Sabres fans, uh, you know, come after me for it is uh you know all i'm saying is enjoy jack eichel love jack eichel buy the jerseys uh you know get on board this guy's a, a very rare talent uh and he's a fantastic guy to build around just be honest about it be honest that last year was never about both guys last year was about Connor mcdavid you always knew you had the consolation right you always knew you had jack eichel as in your back pocket, if you did finish last, if it was mission accomplished, and then you managed to drive the tank over the finish line. Uh, but don't pretend that you had your heart set on either guy and it didn't matter, because last year was about Connor McDavid, and it's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to say, look, nope. we got a, you know, we're not a, agree in a decade. <clears throat> we're, not, we're just not going to agree on this. Because I, we're not going to agree on this, and there's no reason for me to be disingenuous, but that's yeah. just not true. I mean, we coined a phrase How here you, called McEichel. It was about both guys the you, whole time. The whole point of you coined a phrase called Nick Eichel, but I didn't. I must have missed the part where Eichel got his own press conference at you know with Sabres. He did. He, in the background he where played he got here invited. in the U.S. prospects game, and they did all that for him. Yeah, but they weren't going to be able to bring know, Boston I, University here, unfortunately. Like people think because they brought the, the deal. The deal is the deal is. I mean, Jack Eichel's a great. He's a once in a decade guy. Connor McDavid's a once in a generation guy. You know. Jack Eichel is Mike Medano. Connor McDavid is Sidney Crosby. It's okay to acknowledge that one guy uh, was the consensus number one and one guy was number two. And, uh, you know, certainly that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you, you turn around and, uh, and you don't embrace the guy. Uh, but, man, I mean, even your own GM after the draft lottery is not even trying to hide his disappointment. Uh, you know, just it, it, accept it, embrace it, turn around and say, yeah, you know what? We ended up getting the consolation prize. It was a hell of a consolation prize, though, and it was a it was a better consolation prize than most number ones are going to be most years. I don't know. I mean, if the best case scenario for both of them is one is as good as Wayne Gretzky and the other one is as good as Mark Messier, I mean, why would I even be sort of disappointed about that? Well, I mean, I'd, if one of them is, I think Wayne Gretzky over Mark Messier. If that's, I don't know if that's the upside of both the guys. I, I'm uh, just I putting two like it, but, names from the same era that. One was, I guess, better than the other. I mean, if one of them is okay, yeah. what if one of them is uh, as good as Ovechkin, but the other one is as good as Malkin? Uh, am I going to be disappointed about that? No, nobody should be disappointed. Nobody yeah. should. Nobody should be disappointed. Like, oh crap, we got stuck with Jack Eichel. But you know, acknowledge that Connor McDavid was the number one. Maybe maybe Eichel's a one A. That's fine. If and we would have you know, picked again, one, we would have picked McDavid. What's that? If the Sabres would have had the first pick, they would have picked McDavid, and that would have been the right pick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but that doesn't and, you know, mean I mean, that it, it wasn't it, about both guys. It was. 
I think it was about I think it was about acknowledging that both guys were in play. But uh, you know this this idea that uh, we never cared about who we got, and if it was you know we knew that uh, you know Eichel is he is every bit as good, and we weren't disappointed at all. You know I've, I've had Sabres fans act like they didn't even watch the lottery. That who cares? We're getting one of them. It doesn't even matter. You know I, I think it can go. It, nobody's expecting anyone to to turn on the guy. That would be ridiculous. But let's be realistic here, and let's you know I. I I, I don't. I don't like the revisionist history that uh, fan bases sometimes try to pull, and and the Sabers are certainly not alone on that. Uh, believe me, this, this is something that every every city, every fan base tries to pull from time to time. But you know, at some point, you know, either acknowledge it or at least accept that those of us outside the Buffalo market uh, uh, don't necessarily have to play along. Because a lot of us, you know, we were there. We 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 saw what the reaction was throughout the season and uh, uh, and how that went. And I know it's a very sensitive point with Sabers fans. Uh, but man, at the end of the day, uh, it's, uh, I, I think sometimes it gets taken to a little bit of a silly extreme. Yeah. I don't know. The other thing you mentioned is turning on Bilesma already. I, I, I don't know. I, I have a really good fan or I know I have a really good friend in Pittsburgh maybe soured me to him initially, but the reason I was excited that he came was because I thought without knowing anything about it, I just assumed that he had done this masterful job with Crosby. You know, that he got this 18-year-old star in the league one other time and, you know, he won a cup really quickly and was a captain quickly and thought maybe Bilesma must have had something to do about that. And maybe he did, but, I mean, watching the guy every night now, I mean, he totally favors veterans on the team who, you know, never scratching Matt Molson. I guess he finally did, but not. I mean, playing Brian Gianta, like, all the time. Uh, I mean, he just not putting Eichel in the shootout because he doesn't score enough in practice in the shootout. Just, you know, like ridiculous, like, like to me this year, and, and maybe this is revisionist Sabre stuff too, but to me this year was going to simply be about getting Reinhardt and Eichel on the ice all the time in all the possible situations so they could fail or achieve maybe 50-50, hopefully 60-40 percent of the time and learn and get better from the failures. But you can't sure. you can't do that if you don't get to be put in those positions. And sometimes we have this stubborn coach, um, you know, who wants to pretend like Brian Gianta and Matt Molson are still NHL players. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of coaches are like that. Uh, a lot of coaches do prefer those veteran guys. But at the same time, you got to – you're right. I mean, this year should have been about – the young guys and, and putting them in those situations and seeing what they can do. But at the same time, you, you can't overdo that. You can put guys, uh, you, the, the year was about setting those guys up to succeed and setting them up to develop and be as good a player as they can be, not necessarily this year, but two, three, five years down the road. And you know, maybe Dan Bilsner has seen some things that tell him, okay, we got to pump the brakes just a little bit here. Let's not put guys in situations where uh, they're going to they're gonna fail to an extent that it might stunt some of the development Let's bring them along slowly, and and yeah, I mean, you hope that it's not uh, just this kind of old school thinking where you know, well, they got to pay their dues and they got to earn it and this and that, because you, you do want to see that to some extent, but not if it if it means that you're throwing guys over the boards that give you less of a chance to win. But uh, you know, I, I from from an outside perspective, I trust Andos. I mean, this guy is a good coach, and uh, you know, he did. He didn't come in and, and have Sidney Crosby right off the bat, and uh, you know some of the groundwork was laid already when he got there. But he did a good job with it once he was there. He's a, he's a smart guy. He's a good coach, and he's in there 
uh, for the long term. This isn't a Ted Nolan situation where he's coaching right, potentially right. to save his job above and beyond the kids. He's, he knows he's going to be there for the next three, four, five years at least. Uh, so I, I think he's laying the groundwork. And if I'm a Sabres fan, I'm, I'm willing to trust this guy. It's going to be really interesting. I'm going to be really interested. It's the last thing we'll move on on this. I'm going to be really interested to find out if the Sabres lose the lottery again this year. I mean, they won't probably won't be 30th, uh, but whatever. It would be interesting to see if the Sabres end up with the second or third pick. I guess that technically is still winning the lottery, right, uh, this year, mm-hmm. I guess. But if they don't draft first and they get one of these Finnish guys and you know people here who maybe watched the World Juniors and seen how good those two guys are, if the narrative is... is quite as strong about oh you didn't want those guys uh when the guy's not canadian that they lost out on because well no i mean i i think it's it's a totally different situation though this year because there's not the league to their credit i guess with the way that they've changed the lottery they you know that's why a lot of this tanking talk this year doesn't really fit the way it did last year because you're talking about uh, you know, you finish dead last this year, you're guaranteed a top four pick. Right. You know, but Definitely. guaranteed a top four pick, that's nice to have. Uh, and you'd like to have the better odds on the lottery, but it's not like last year where you had two franchise players and one pick that you were guaranteed if you, if you could finish last. The gap between finishing 30th and finishing 29th was so huge last year, uh, that it was, uh, you know, it, it was clear that it not only was it a big incentive for the Sabres, but you just look at the standings. This year, uh, you know, I, I don't know, what the Oilers are on pace for, but uh, you know they're going to probably finish ten points ahead of uh, several teams where they finished last year. I mean, last year was just such an obvious case where it made so much sense to slam on the brakes. Uh, whereas you don't really have that uh, this year. So even if you're a team like the Maple Leafs, where you're obviously in a uh, what you would, if you were polite, you would call a rebuilding year, and they're obviously not uh, remotely interested in in winning games down the stretch. Even then, all you're all you're playing for is a slightly better percentage of getting one of those high picks. It's it's not uh, it's not anywhere like the situation last year. Right, but the interesting thing is, is there's three players that are separated from the field a little bit. I mean, Matthews and the two bit, Finnish yeah. guys. Yep. So I mean, it's interesting in that way that you know, oh, the lottery again happens to have, I mean, the three most desirable players, and then there's a drop off. I mean, it's maybe not a. I mean, and, 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 you know, maybe we learned last year the drop-off after Eichel wasn't as big as we thought. I mean, the way Domi and Larkin have played. So, I don't know. Anyway, uh, did anyone win or lose uh, the trade deadline? I know there wasn't a ton of trades. Um, uh, did anyone get someone that you think I – mean, maybe it's Eric Stahl made the Rangers uh, a team that could get over the yeah. seventh game hump or – I, I mean, I didn't see anyone that I'd call a big win. I, I think there were certainly some teams that helped themselves, and I, I think there were some teams that made bets that were probably decent gambles. I mean, the, the Rangers going on getting Eric Stahl. Eric Stahl hasn't been anywhere near the player this year or even the last few years that he was earlier in his career. But, you know, change of scenery, different situation, chance to win a Stanley Cup, maybe that lights a fire. The Rangers didn't give up the first-round pick. They didn't give up the A-plus prospect this time around, so... That's probably a good gamble. But, you know, if I'm picking a winner, the one team that I really liked, uh, I really liked what the Flames did. I thought they got a really good package back from Dallas for Chris Russell. I understand why the Stars were, were willing to give up that much. I understand why the Stars, you know, probably felt like they were under some pressure uh, to keep up with the Blackhawks. And I, I don't 
I don't hate the trade from the Dallas perspective, but I like it an awful lot from the Calgary perspective because they're they're sitting there. You know, they they certainly didn't want to be here this year, especially after last year, right? Making the playoffs, winning around. You know, they didn't want to be in in selling mode, uh, but they didn't go into denial. They didn't. They went in with their eyes open. They knew what they were. Uh, and in, in a, on a day where there wasn't a lot of action and the sellers really seemed to be having trouble finding takers, uh, they had a guy that was available and, and uh, you know, they did a great job of pumping up his value. They, they put a lot of stuff out there in the media about how this guy was the number one defenseman out there. And they got somebody to, to, to pay big uh, for, for this player. And, uh, you know, if you're a seller, that's what you got to do. Sometimes you got to make your own market and the Flames, uh, to their credit, they did that and they, they got a heck of a deal out of Dallas. You know, I, I was really impressed too with the with the Flames' foresight uh, to know that they might only have eleven forwards at the end of uh, trade deadline day, and to get a guy they'd want to call up to the NHL to add a Rondek. I mean, that's just really impressive foresight to know that. Oh man, we might only have eleven forwards. We better we better assign a guy to the Adirondack team in case we want to call him up because I'm sure that's what happened, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's it's. I'm being sarcastic. It's just such a weird. It, 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 it's it's such a weird day though. The the trade yeah. deadline with the, you know, I, why do we have games on trade deadline day? Why why do we have teams you know going out there on the ice a few hours afterwards? And you know between that and the chaos of the AHL clear day going on at the same time, uh, you, you got to think there's a better system to do it because I mean I don't know if you saw the list of AHL moves. Uh, from uh, yeah. from from mm-hmm. Monday. I mean, it was insane. Those guys are going up and down and back and forth all throughout the day because they got to clear these various hurdles. Um, you, you wonder if the league shouldn't just be finding a way to simplify this. Yeah, and the league puts the Flames in a position to lie, like they, they actually ever sent this guy to Adirondack. You know, it's silly. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean that's that's it. Everybody's playing these games, right? And, uh, you know, it's I you know like I like I said on a button. If, if the league leaves the loophole open, go ahead and 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 exploit it, but uh, uh, yeah, it is kind of interesting that it's the Flames in this case doing it. When uh, you know, as a Leaf fan, I've, I've heard all about Brian Burke's uh, uh, you know strict ethical guidelines <laughs> that he would always use, but uh, uh, apparently that's uh, you know he doesn't he doesn't mind uh, using the odd loophole these days. Right? Yeah, that one slipped by him this year, I guess. Uh, did you think Chicago improved? Did you like getting Lad and and all, all the moves they yeah. made? They didn't have to give I, up John Hayden, I, which I thought was big. Yeah, no, I, I like I liked what Chicago did a lot. To, you know, only team to give up a first round pick. Uh, you know, assuming that the, the conditional on the Dallas trade doesn't come through. But you know what? It's going to be twenty fifth through thirtieth pick. Uh, so you know that that's that's not a bad gamble. Uh, again, I like the trade a lot from Winnipeg's perspective, but I don't mind it for Chicago. And and I think uh, you know Chicago did a good job. They got their shopping done early. Uh, they got some of the names, snatched some guys up, uh, and. Uh, uh, put some pressure on on the rest of the league and especially the rest of the central that's chasing them to go out and make moves. And I think it just it, it speaks to the impressive job that Stan Bowman has done that he was able to go and get all those guys uh, and and have the cap room to do it. And you know not not to mention the strength in the organization to feel like you can give up a prospect and a draft pick and and be okay. But uh, you know just I, I I know I had a bunch of people on Twitter asking me. Where the hell are the Blackhawks getting this cap room from? Right. You know, they didn't even have to, to do a Brian Bickle trade to, to make it all happen. It's because they're, you know, they're, they've managed that very smartly. And, you know, having a couple of those backdiving contracts that are now illegal certainly helps. 
Um, but, uh, you know, uh, again, it, it, that loophole was there for a while. They exploited it. And, uh, you know, it's to the credit of Stan Bowman that you look at some of the other teams in the league that are up against the cap, having cap trouble, that have nowhere near the success on the ice. Uh, the fact that the Blackhawks managed to leave themselves just enough room to get this stuff done is uh, uh, full credit to him and, and to that front office. Yeah, they're not winning those cups for mistake, or by mistake, right? Uh, no, absolutely not. And you know, we're all waiting for the day where they got to break it up, and uh, and 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 the wrecking ball comes in, and it just just never seems to come. Yeah, it seems like every time they win it, they break it up a little. You know, like they they shed a couple pieces that were huge <laughs> in that run. You know, like maybe um, Buff won the first time, or you know, Brandon Side last time. But they do just enough to. I don't know. They do a great job. Uh, the sports guests are here with. Uh, Sean McIndoe, better known as Down Goes Brown, at Down Goes Brown on Twitter, uh, downgoesbrown.com, finishing up here. So, all right, last thing. So there's about 20 games left, uh, and then we'll get to the playoffs. Uh, what are you um, most focused on these last 20 games? What What are the things you're going to be uh, following most closely? Well, you know, the, it looks like we're not going to get much of a playoff bubble this year. At the, you yeah, know, the East can give like us it. a little bit. The West is already down to to, to two teams. So, uh, you know, what I'm interested in is sort of the. I'm looking at those division titles. I'm looking to see kind of who who's going to catch who. Is Anaheim going to catch the Kings? Uh, you know, how are those how are those two and three seeding matchups going to go? Because that that is going to end up being a big thing, especially in the Central. You got those three teams: you got Chicago, Dallas. St. Louis is kind of the forgotten team. I feel like they, they, you don't hear very much about them uh, throughout this season, but they're right there neck and neck with those guys. And, you know, the fact that Chicago, Dallas, and St. Louis, I think you can make a good case that those are three of maybe three of the best four teams in the league. I think you could definitely say three of the best five or six teams. Uh, and, uh, you know, two of them are going to have to play each other in the first round. One of them's getting knocked out uh, for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I know that, you almost never see NHL teams put a lot of emphasis on seeding. That nobody seems to care who wins the division. Nobody, if you, if you even suggest that winning the President's Trophy is is important to anyone, they they shoot you right down. Uh, but you got to be thinking that if you're in that central, if you're one of those three teams, you got to be pushing hard to get that number one spot, get that matchup against a wild card team, and not have to face one of those other powerhouses in in a first round. Because even if you win that matchup. Uh, what are you going to have left going into the next round? And you got to think St. Louis is at the forefront of that thinking. I mean, they played incredible hockey against the Blackhawks in the first round last year, and uh, they still, I mean, still lost the series. I mean, that was the best, yeah, maybe and, the best series all playoffs. I mean, and and you know, and and then look at how the look at the Blues did after that. Where you know they bring back Ken Hitchcock, but they only give him a one year extension. And you know, it's very clear that this is kind of the last chance for this. This iteration, this version of the Blues to to come through this year, they've got one last shot at it, uh, you know. And I I know that if you're looking at the Central Division, you're probably saying, okay, the road out of this division leads through Chicago, but you don't want that. You don't want to be hitting that road in the in the first round, especially. I mean, if you, you could wind up as a number three seed, uh, you know, one of these teams could end up fourth overall in the entire NHL and end up starting the playoffs on the road. Uh, because they end up uh, as a as a three seed in their own division, it's uh, you, you know if if you can get it, you're not going to get an easy matchup if you win the division. The wild card, you're, you're going to be playing a good team. Uh, but I'd rather be playing a good team with home ice than be playing a great team uh, starting on the road. Right, and it's like in that first round, and if it's St. Louis and Chicago, can St. Louis is me thinking, man, we're going to have two or three overtime games against Chicago again if we're playing if it, if this goes great for us. And we're just going to need to find a way to win them. Because, I mean, I remember last year the one game, 
it's like the last minute of the game, last minute of the overtime. It's like, oh man, Kane's about to score here. You could, you could just see it, you know. You could just see that they couldn't keep up with him anymore, and he skated around the whole zone and scored. You know, it's just like, oh man, that's not fair. I mean, that's like we said, you know, it's not a mistake. Chicago's won those cups. There's such a, there's such an impossible out. The time, the last time they didn't win the cup, it took a team seven games in the conference finals and overtime in their own building to get them out. You know, so I don't know. Yep. All right. Well, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the little uh, McDavid and uh, and Eichel battle. It's too bad. I think that the worst thing about Edmonton winning the lottery is we're not going to be able to do this very often. You know what I mean? I yep, mean that no, was fun. I mean, I I'd like to complain about it more. I mean, I I, I didn't even get to complain well, about the fact that you know McDavid had three months off getting ready for this game. Poor yeah. Eichel's been grinding out well, in the well, NHL every night. Yeah, and I mean, plus, I mean, who's Eichel got to play with? Connor McDavid's going to have Austin Matthews to play with. He's going to have, <laughs> like, you know, with the, the first, first rounder in 2018, 19. Right. I mean, my, my gosh, guy's going to be surrounded by so much more talent. Right. <laughs> That's funny. All right. All right. Uh, at Down Goes Brown on Twitter, downgoesbrown.com. Check him out on sportsnet.ca. He's got a winners and losers column of the uh, trade deadline there. Vice Sports, Hockey News. We didn't even talk about the. Uh, that tournament, but silly anyway. We can do that next time. Uh, anything else you want to plug, Sean? No, no, I think you, I think you covered it. All right, thank you so much for being here. All right. All right, I want to thank Tass Malice and whatever... Unbelievable hockey guests we lured to the program today for being on. Don't forget you can hear this week's podcast and last week's with Richard Deitch and NBA Hall of Famer Jack McCollum on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. You can find Don at Don Lake Sports. Uh, any other plugs? What do you think of Deitch, Don? Did you listen to Deitch? I didn't listen to Deitch yet. I was actually going to ask you about him off the air. Yeah, he gave us a nice he gave us a nice tweet and we got like thirty five new followers. He is simultaneously the nicest guy and the biggest jerk to us. Of <laughs> <laughs> any guest we well, have. I was it was like ten days ago by and he didn't retweet me at all or like you know that new thing where you can do where you quote the tweet and then you write something above it, it looks real nice on Twitter. Okay, yeah. So I emailed him and I'm like, dude, we need a bump, you know, like and he said he goes, Well, tweet about someone else and I'll retweet it because it's self serving. Oh, if he's tweeting like, about himself. Self-serving. I know. He's not a comedian. What like are you is, talking about? You're the most self-serving dates. guy on the internet. <laughs> now it's my shit and you, you can't be – you're too self-serving. So he instead he just made a generic uh, – it said something like, um, I like these – I like how he thinks we're young. He's like, uh, these, high, these young kids from Buffalo, I like their hustle. And he tagged us and then he – you know, as if like – Everyone probably on the internet doesn't know that he's only famous because of my idea, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's kind of a joke, but it's yeah. kind of true. Uh, and um, that he named us podcast of the one of the podcasts of the year. And I mean, everyone knows it's not a secret that like you know we're kind of connected to him and vice versa. Correct. And he's not our publicist. He reminds us of that. Yes, yes. He told me that in the email actually. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he likes he, to remind he, us. He of told that. me to calm down. Okay. Calm down. So, anyway, you can listen to that last week, www.sports 
uh, casters.com. And thanks to Jack McCollum, by the way, who, you know, it's kind of surreal. I mean, it's this guy's in the hall in the NBA Hall of Fame, obviously the writer's wing. Um, he's one of the greatest NBA writers of all time. You know, the two, probably the two greatest NBA writers of all time are Frank DeFord and Jack McCollum. They've both been on the show. Sweet. All right, one last thing. Yeah, I won't bore you with a long one. We got some waiting anyway. Uh, one last thing for me this week. Well, if you don't bore us, this segment's going to be boring. <laughs> Go ahead. More than anything, and we're in a an election year, but more than yes. that, bothering me on Facebook. Go I am, politicians. I am tired of seeing math problems on Facebook. What? Math problems. Who do you follow on Facebook? Do, like, math just problems. people like... Uh, we'll post these pictures, and it's like, what do you think the real answer is? And the, one of the problems Can is... Can you give me an example of this? It'll always be things where, like, there's multiplication by zero somewhere in the middle of it. But, like, uh, order of operations matters. Oh, okay. And, uh... Isn't there a thing for that? Yeah, the... Like p- a Roy Big Diff or pe- whatever? PEMDAS. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Or right, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Yeah, yeah, people do different things. Right. But, first of all, if people... If you know the answer, then it, it's generally pretty easy. But if you don't know the answer, the answer is never given. Like, there's no answer key to it. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know why everyone thinks posting pictures of basic math is cool. One of the first times I got in big trouble in school uh-huh. was, like, in the third or fourth grade when me and my friends were passing around a note with that, please excuse my Aunt Sally, but with, like, dirty words instead. <laughs> you know, like, I think, like, I had, like, uh, just mnemonics. pussy erect... Yeah. The uh, whatever I thought of for M. They were all like really lame cliche like cuss words that we just learned an hour ago. Sure. You know, we were passing them around giggling, we got busted. Alright, here's one. Oh this are, one says no This works good on the air, Don show. I know, I know. I'm Let's sure see if I can get it. it. Okay. So I have to multiply first. Right. Um So that's uh <laughs> six Is it 30? I, I would believe it's 30 as well. My guess is 30. I, yeah. This translates very well. No, it doesn't. No one but else can I see mean, it. What's, what compels so it, someone to post that? Was I right? I, I mean, oh. I, I think so, but there's no answer. Oh, it they says, don't even tell you the answer? No, that's, what, that's the biggest annoyance. So people it. post riddles on Facebook with no answer. Yeah, there's 3,000 comments on it. With probably 3,000 different answers. I see 46 and 30. I think the people th- thinking 46 are just going left to right, maybe. I, I don't know. I okay. don't know. But that's the point. These things are stupid. I'm not yes. sure what compels people to post them. This is almost as bad as that. You uh, should institute a rule that if anyone posts a math problem, they're immediately removed. Yes. From these, your thing. These people commented on it. They didn't actually post it. Oh. I could unfollow the person or I could hide the person. That actually I don't understand it. all the privacy rules with Facebook and how things work, and yeah. it's frustrating. You can. The key is to unfollow, not unfriend. I think if you don't want to see somebody, but you don't want to offend them, I, I'd hate to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah, you just unfollow. This person I went to high school with today, she has three children, okay. I believe, two two fathers, mm-hmm. and now the second father they got engaged, and she posts this picture. Of her hand with the ring, but it's squares. And it's like nine different pictures of her fingers with the ring on. <laughs> and, I mean, it's not like she's marrying, uh, you know, uh, the son of um, Pagula. And he bought her a 36-carat diamond, a pink diamond or something. It's not the, the ring that Ben Affleck bought J-Lo. Right. You know, and, and she's got it all, all out. And I'm just like, ah, why am I on Facebook? Anyway. One last thing for me today. So I was going to go into a thing about Marcus Colston and him being the greatest Saints wide receiver of all time and what he means to me and how I named my dog after him. But I'm going to be a kind 
Buffalonian and donate my time uh, to the Depew Wildcat hockey team. Now, uh, in Buffalo, high school hockey is, I don't know, it's weird. It's not that great. It's certainly not Minnesota or Boston. Um, it's really, the, the politics of it are horrible. Um, but there's basically like three tiers. So St. Francis and Nichols have prep. Um, you know, and that's, I guess, the best, but they don't play each other much and they barely play here. So there's no fanfare to that. Like nobody follows that really. Sure. You know, like Anthony played, played prep for St. Francis and Sean Malone at Harvard. He played, uh, for Nichols. Uh, Chris Mueller, he played for Nichols. Um, Pat Collada. Uh, Pat Collada played for Franny's, but then he went to the OHL. So he only played, I think, oh, Franny's okay. for one year before he went to the OHL. But um, And then below that, then there's like the Federation side of things, which I don't know that necessarily – like St. Joe's is probably the best team in that part, but they're only the best because they won't make the commitment to go prep. Like they really should go prep, but they don't, so they're just like kind of dominating the – like, in the playoffs, they beat, in the first round, St. Francis is, like, third best team. Okay. You know, so, I mean, it's not exactly competition for them. And then they beat, I think, Canisius in the final. It's weird. So, like, the Catholic teams compete against the public teams until playoffs. Then they don't because nobody wants to lose to St. Joe's on Super Sunday. It's weird. You know, so so then there's the two uh, Super Sunday, the large school and small school for Fed. And that was yesterday at the arena. And I'm trying to think who won. Who cares? And then <laughs> on Sunday they had the club um, Super Sunday, which was the – originally like when I was in high school and before that, Super Sunday was at Buff State. And it was the these three – like three club games and the Fed. And the Fed left. They did their own thing. And it was the three games, the small school, large school, and the Explorer League, which is the Buffalo. And uh, now they're back to three games. So there's six games between the two days. And one of the games, kind of getting to the point here, because I'm sure we've lost just about everyone at this point. Uh, One of the games was Depew versus Star Point. And my brother Greg's friend and my friend Dwayne is with us. Dwayne, how you doing, buddy? Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me. I love the show. Yeah, he is one of the coaches of Depew who won a thrilling game. So cool. Triple overtime, they beat Star Point. Uh, their captain scored the goal. I saw a couple videos of it. It's kind of hard to see, but it looked like uh, the puck got kind of ringed around. And I don't know if it was a defenseman. He kind of misplayed it. And the goalie was following it around and got caught on the ro- wrong oh, side of the net. Gotcha. And their guy just kind of picked it and tucked it in. I wanted to talk to him, but he's a high school kid. Who knows what he's doing right now? Uh, he was my first choice. My second choice was the goalie. So, I mean, triple overtime. Sure. And I actually even read that he made a couple breakaway saves. We'll find out about that. Let's keep him in it. Um, but he's out of play. I, I don't even want to get into what's going on with that. And then uh, my third choice is Dwayne. So, uh, <laughs> Dwayne. That's an intro. Yeah, tell me what's going on with this Depew team. Tell me about the game. Well, first of all, let's start with the game. So, now I want to tell you this. I When I was a junior or sophomore in high school. Uh, it must have been sophomore year. It's the first year I played varsity. I went to Super Sunday, and Depew was in it versus Lancaster. Okay, and uh, if you're not from Buffalo, Depew and Lancaster are basically the exact same thing. They're, like, in the same exact spot in the city, but the Lancaster people are richer. 
the Pew sure, area is sure. like lower class, sure. more apartments, a lot more crime, dumpier. The <laughs> Lancaster is a lot nicer, more upscale. I'm, te- I'm Dwayne's from the Pew, so I'm kind of teasing right. you. <laughs> uh, but um, so they're playing this big rivalry game, and it was better then because it's at Buff State. Now they do it at the arena. Which sounds cool, except for even if you have two thousand people there, there's sixteen thousand empty seats. A bit, yeah. So they let's say there was probably two thousand people packed into Buff State for this game, and it was one to one, I think, or zero to zero, low scoring game, and there was a small amount of time on the clock, and Depew is in the defensive zone face off, and for some reason their center tried to win it forward. And he just missed, and the Lancaster defenseman walked around him and roofed it, and they won. So they won like two to one with, I don't know, ten, twelve, thirteen seconds left, something like that. It's a cool game, cool high school game. And Dwayne, you coached a cool one. Tell us about the game on Sunday. What happened? Oh well, you know it was uh, definitely a hard fought game from beginning to end. You know we took the uh, early two nothing lead off uh, goals from. Uh, as you mentioned, Nick Rupp, our captain, and then um, Bobby Stanzinski, one of our assistant captains, both are seniors. Oh, nice. Cool. And, uh, you know, they're just that point coaches. They uh, call the timeout, and, you know, they calm their guys down, and, you know, it was back and forth the rest of the game up until, you know, I think it was uh, mid- midway through the second. They scored their first, and then they tied it again midway in the, in the third. Who is and, the favorite? Uh, you know, t- Who is the favorite in the game? Excuse me? Who is the favorite? Like who is probably, oh the favorite yeah oh uh, for, for us um I mean like who, you know who did honestly, most people our, think was going to win is what I'm asking you oh 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 the oh. start point was you know they they'd been there the six previous okay seasons, so, the, so they, they were you're the, the underdog gotcha okay so you get ahead they calm them down then they tie it two two so now what's the format I'm assuming you weren't going off and they're re- doing the ice and you guys are playing twenty minutes of back to back overtime uh, hockey we, 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 yeah tell me we the got about maybe three minutes. Uh, between the uh, third period and the first overtime, which is five on five. Okay. And then uh, again, same 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 format, right into four on four, and then the third overtime, right into three on three. Now you work a lot with the goalie, and I know you're close to him. Why don't you tell a story a little bit? It's pretty amazing because I know he made some huge saves. If you go buff, if you search just like Depew uh, win Super Sunday, uh, there's an article in the Buffalo News, and it talks a little bit about the game and. Uh, uh, tell us about your the goal you've been working with, the relationship you have with him in his game on Sunday. Well, Adam Bauer, he's actually, uh, I've been working with him since he was 13. Uh, he's actually been playing for varsity since the eighth grade. Um, you know, a phenomenal talent and, in uh, my opinion, probably the best goal that's come through to Pew uh, ever, and that includes myself. Um, last year, he... Uh, tore his ACL in his final football game of the season. And I remember getting a phone call at 11 o'clock at night telling me, you know, my season's over, you know, I'm not going to be able to play. This is before our season even started. And, uh, you know, we rolled that season without him, of course. You know, we had to uh, make do with what we had at the time, which was like a goal. We had to have a goalie pool. And um, there was a lot of questions of whether or not he was going to return. He did, and, you know, he probably put – together one of the greatest seasons this franchise has ever seen. I think he had uh, under two go- two, 2.0 goals against average. He had uh, six shutouts. Um, made the first team all-star. Uh, he was the most uh, valuable goal at the skills competition. And um, Oh, and he won the uh, J.T. Conti Scholarship Award for his play on the ice and uh, I believe his scholastics, which, you know, in my opinion, I couldn't even dream of getting the grades this kid got in high school. 
you know, in, always in regions classes and whatnot. What's his name again? Uh, Adam Bauer. Adam, Adam Bauer. Bauer. Congratulations, Adam. It's pretty sick. And you said he's going to go to Ohio State, Penn State next year, something like that. Uh, yeah, he's been uh, accepted to Ohio State. Um, Sweet. Honestly, when when asking about what he's majoring in, you know, he's the best person to ask. He's talking about triple majoring. Oh, we don't care. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, I'm kidding again. We're we're proud of him though. That's awesome. So he holds you in there, makes some big saves. Who is getting the better of the chances in the overtime? Oh, it was back and forth. They was had it? they you know, had a couple breakaways. Uh, actually, within like the last thirty, I think it was like the last thirty seconds of the third period. They hit the crossbar on us. Um, you know, at that point, you know, Steve, you know, everybody's legs are dead. You know, right. you know, everybody's feeling heavy. You know, you're just trying to dig down deep, trying to find anything, you know, to push yourself forward. You know, I've actually been there myself, and, you know, I know exactly what those kids were feeling at the time. So, you, you know, know I say it was pretty even keeled back and forth. But going into that going into that third uh, overtime, we definitely had the advantage. You know, they were, they were huffing and puffing. They were rolling two lines most of the game. So, you know, their kids, you know, they were huffing and puffing. Uh, in that overtime, so I think you know, with our depth going and going into that overtime, uh, you know, we had the advantage for sure. Yeah, and I think what happens, like in these long hockey games, we see it in the NHL all the time, is they end because someone makes a mistake because they're mentally they're playing the game out, but their body, you know, just doesn't respond. I think maybe that's what happened to the kid behind the net. Tell me the the final game which you saw from your vantage point, uh, the overtime. We, we got to end this soon because p- there's no one left, oh, but it's the end of the show. Well, but. I mean. In, in overtime, it's all about puck possession. You know, right. we, we have out of the you know puck for most most of the third Especially overtime. Three on three, yeah. The puck, yeah. the puck, the puck. Uh, you know, it got lost in behind the net, and Nick Nick Rupp was uh, pinching, and um, it was more more or less a mental error by the goalie. Again, he thought it was being wrapped around. He lost track of the puck, and another one of our assistant captains, Tyler Sokoliak, uh, you know, he kicked the puck loose over to uh, Nick Rupp, and he wrapped it in, and it was unbelievable. You know, I don't think I've ever jumped off a bench quicker in my life. Yeah, I saw you on so the, the, the dog pile. Motion. I was watching the video. I was hoping you might catch a skate or something, just to add to the, the drama of the video. You got to be careful on those. Those guys are wearing skates. You got to be careful on that dog pile. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, honestly, I, I I had been in that game twice in my in my career. I never actually won. Uh, you so, lost you know, I was honestly just as emotionally invested as they were. And so was our head coach, Pat Davis. And uh, our other assistant coach, um, the coaches, Tom Grupp, father of Nick, and uh, Casey Walters, oh, phenomenal coaching staff. That's awesome. Well, I'm proud of you guys. Now, you guys won one other time? How many times has Depew won? Depew is not a perennial um, power by any means. I mean, they're not an embarrassment of a program either, but how many t- you only won a couple times, right? I, I believe we've won it six. I want to say oh, six that many? times. Oh, that's more than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I believe it's six times. Um. We've been there, uh, obviously, more than that, but uh, I believe I want to say we've won it six total times. I may be wrong. Very good. Well, very so, good. So, what's next? Now you go to states. Yeah, we uh, we actually I just came from the playing game between uh, St. Joe's and uh, Star Point, which Star Point won. Uh, you know, real nail biter at the end there. Uh, they got an empty net goal to make it four to two. But um, we we begin states Friday against Long Beach. Um, now I haven't anything on Long Beach yet, um, but last time when I played them back in states, they always come to, come come, uh, come to states with a pretty solid team, so we'll have our work cut out for us for sure. Is that the team that Snoop Dogg coaches? <laughs> Snoop Dogg coaches, yeah. yeah. The Long Beach squad. <laughs> the Long Beach squad, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Alright, well good luck in the states. You got any chance to win that or no? 
I think, I think, you know, we're, we're after what we proved in Super Sunday and, you know, I mean, after the, after going two and two to start the season, you know, we went 13, 0 and one, you know, we've been undefeated since, you know, the fourth week of the season, I believe. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's possible. I, I, I feel really good about our chances. Well, listen, I was joking around a bit and messing with Dwayne here because he's a friend of mine. But I do honestly want to say that uh, I'm proud of these kids. Congratulations to the Depew Wildcats, I think they are. I'm winning Super Sunday. What a thrill. Uh, it eluded me as it eluded uh, Dwayne. I never made it. My senior year, I think we probably thought we were going to, and we didn't. Uh, I've, uh, do you, I played varsity do you have, do you hockey. Have another uh, yeah, I got a second. What do you want? All right, I just want to, you know, just give a shout-out to our seniors. Yeah, um, name them all. Alex Kutas, yeah. Andrew Bowler, Tyler Post, Bobby Stanzinski, Tyler Sokoliak, Zach Spring, Nick Rupp, Anthony Russell, and uh, Mitchell Thornton. Thorny, you know, nine of the best, you know, classiest kids you could ever uh, – a coach's dream, pretty much, you know. Right. So just want to make sure, you know, they got their pop two here today. So right back to the shitter next year then, huh? Nine seniors, you get fifth, sixth place. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say that we got we got some uh, some good talent down in the TV. So you know, I, I like our chances next year too. So Dwayne we'll put, wait and see. Dwayne put in his resignation as coach. <laughs> He'll be back in a couple of years when these kids are juniors. He doesn't. Oh yeah, I'm gonna wait till they're good. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna he, wait till we're uh, on top again. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't do that uh, losing stuff. So he's put in his resignation. Peyton, Peyton Manning, I'm gonna go out on top. <laughs> no, congratulations to all the guys. Um, that's awesome. Hopefully they can uh, win states. And uh, bring some more hardware back to Depew. Uh, and um, obviously they'll have to keep it locked in their houses because, you know, unlike Lancaster, <laughs> um, sometimes there are break-ins in the Depew area. So, oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. It's good talking to you. And, uh, All right. Tell, tell the family I said hello, Anthony, too. Yes. That's it for us. Uh, we'll be back next week. Just the moon and sun